I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum. I am Rana Hussain for the fifth quarter today, flying solo, but of course I do have a wonderful guest with me today. We're going to talk all things brands, sport and inclusion. I think this one is going to be for the geeks out there. <laughs> uh, I'm with Kiva Stratton, who is founder of Quip Brands. She is a strategist, a futurist, a criminologist, a lawyer and an award-winning brand strategist. Kiva, welcome to the Outer Sanctum in the fifth quarter. Thanks, Rana. I'm so excited to be here. I don't know how I found myself on a, a podcast that deals with sports, but but sure, you know. <laughs> well, there is, look, there is a connection and we will get there. And the reason why I sort of asked you to come on was because we connected via my day job in looking at what an inclusive brand is. And of course, you are founder and director of Quip Brands, which does intelligent branding and emotive storytelling. So I suppose what I want to start with, what is a brand? <laughs> well, I think the easiest way to explain what a brand is, um, is the way that Jeff Bezos explains it. Not that I'm a big advocate of Jeff, but he says a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I think that that's probably the simplest way to understand the difference between, say, branding and marketing or advertising. With marketing and advertising, obviously, there's some control over the message and you're receiving a message. Whereas with branding, it's actually the impression that is left, the feeling that you have the understanding of what it is that that business or product stands for. The values, I think, are really important as well, which, you know, is becoming more so the way people align their own identity with different brands um, because of that alignment of values. What is it that you do in the work with Quip? Oh, so many different things. Um, I think we're kind of strategic problem solvers. We have a whole range of clients that come to us for a variety of reasons that typically centre around the need to engage their customer base. So how do they form a market position, an image, a voice that tells the story of who they are and why they exist? And Brands really struggle with this, particularly in a world where it's digitised now. There's so much competition for audience share. There's there's an attention drought because there's so many different options, I suppose. And what they want to be able to do is be memorable for the right reasons. They want to connect with their customers and have that sense of brand loyalty. And they also want to be understood and remembered. So, yeah, there's a lot of challenges for brands today because anyone can become a brand now. The, the internet has made that possible um, and how we communicate, I suppose, has just changed so rapidly. 
It's really interesting to me because I, as a punter and a sports fan, have always connected really strongly with brands. And and to me, as the person on the couch watching sport and consuming a lot of media and culture all the time, I look to the brand and I don't even realise it. When a brand stands for something that I believe in, I am more likely to connect with that particular organisation. I suppose what I would love to know from you is, Are brands that important when it comes to that connection with the consumer and and how much do brands impact cultural change? Yeah, look, I think it's something that is becoming increasingly important as consumers become more educated. So if we take it back a step and we think about how media operated a generation ago where the conversation was very much one way, you know, brands could use TV advertising, for instance, to put a message out there and you either accepted it or you didn't. The difference today is that it's a two-way conversation. So when a brand puts a message out into the world uh, through social media, through, you know, the whole digital realm, people can share their opinion and return fire or, or, you know, let the brand know how they feel about that position. Um, so we're living in this world of, of, you know, brand interaction that that just never existed before. And I think what's really fascinating about that is it's put a demand on brands to actually really define what they stand for so people can actually see their authentic selves. So what you're talking about in terms of feeling that strength of alignment with brands that share your values actually it speaks to the psychology of branding so if you think about each brand has a character each brand has you know values that it's founded upon and you as a human being will agree or disagree with some of those values and when you can see them and they're articulated then you're more than likely to either align or or or, you know feel strongly against them so The wonderful thing about branding is it's a cultural phenomena. It is something that is emotional. Um, It is, you know, it it does use human psychology to connect with people. And like all interactions, there's um, people that you like and people that you don't like or values that you agree with and values that you disagree with. So brands today can't just be an ad and and they can't just be um, a singular message because people will call them out and demand the conversation. And that's why I think we're seeing this shift. It feels like sport has really worked that out, that if they want fans to keep turning up, to keep buying memberships, they need to build that genuine connection. Is that a new thing, do you think, or has sport always done that? One of the differences today is there's a competition for attention. So unlike, you know, the scarcity of the past where really we only had a few sports in Australia that were televised. And so if you wanted to be entertained, you you would watch those sports and or you could only go and view certain sports live. Now you can watch sports from all around the world. There's a, a whole different marketplace that's opened up. So in order for me to maintain, you know, my customer loyalty to a sport, I need to feel like it's speaking to me. I need to feel emotionally engaged with that sport. I can't feel like an outsider to that sport because I'll just find something else that gives me the same um, feeling of of competitive thrill or or communal alliance that a sport traditionally does. So I feel like sports are competing more in the entertainment arena today than perhaps they did in the past. And it may be even that a sport isn't competing with another sport so much for viewership. It could be competing with The Voice or one of these reality Mm. TV kind of contests where it's about winners and, and losers. It's about backing someone. It's about having that that sense of competition that we we seek in sport. 
You've done some work within the sport arena. How has it been different to working with other brands? Well, sport's a very passionate area, I think. Um, you know, no one feels passionate about their laundry detergent. I mean, maybe, maybe there's someone out there that, <laughs> Look. <that's>, you know, <laughs> my mother, for instance, very passionate about laundry detergent, but equally passionate about the Fremantle Dockers. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, it is, it's something where irrationality does dominate. And I, I mean that with absolute kind-heartedness because I myself am a, a mad Hawthorne supporter and it's quite incredible how we suddenly, you know, we become blind when we're watching our team. It, you can be presented with the most um, obvious evidence of a, a free kick and yet this irrationality of bias overtakes the mm. common sense and, and we become more primal perhaps than, than we are in other aspects because it, it ignites that kind of competitive fire. So, the problem or the challenge, I guess, when you're dealing with um, sporting brands is that there's a very, very strong sense of how things should be because of how they've always been. And there is a protectionism almost around sports that unlike other brands that are always looking to innovate because they don't want to miss out being the next thing or, or being the first in market with that new service or new opportunity, sports tend to hold on to the past a lot more than other brand types. And it's also, I think, a little bit about, you know, who runs sports because it's a very small group of people that tend to run sporting organisations and, and it seems to be a group that holds a lot of power over how a sport is, is shaped and, and created. You just mentioned that sport tends to hold on to the past a little bit and it's certainly something that we at the Outer Sanctum discuss all the time. What other mistakes do you see brands making Oh, I think that it's ironic because every brand will come to a brand strategist like myself and say, we want to engage more people or we want to engage them more deeply. And yet the one thing they're reluctant to do is actually to think about, well, what other audiences are out there and, and how do we engage those audiences? How has the demographics of Australia changed now that we are in this world, which could be a global world for, for sports, say, I think the AFL was mentioned, obviously, that's a very localised sport. But theoretically, there's no reason why it couldn't have a global audience now, given, you know, the way that, that television has shifted. I think the problem is, is that people keep going back to the same group of people and asking for more engagement rather than actually opening their arms up to a wider group of people and making the sport in an image and in an authentic positioning that says, hey, you're welcome too, you know, and um, we'd love to have you as a supporter. We're not going to just keep going back to the loyalists and asking for more. We're actually going to expand the way we present ourselves and position ourselves so that we are welcoming to people who aren't long-term fans. You mentioned the word authentic there. How do brands show authenticity? What does that actually mean and how, how does one do that? The, the challenge with authenticity is it has to be real and people will see through it if it's not. So change when it comes to branding can't just be at the marketing end or the image end. We can't just have images that show a diversity of the Australian population, age, culture, race, gender, all of those things, if that's not true to the core of the DNA that the brand is built on. So the change really has to happen inside an organisation first, and it has to be welcoming and inclusive in order for that to become the natural reality of the marketing and the image of a brand. I think if you speak 
to people, you know, people want to be good people. Generally, if you talk to them, they believe in in what they see as a good person, which is not an exclusionary person, which is not someone which isolates people or makes them feel unwelcome. But you need to be able to actually put in place change and actions for that to happen. And that's where I think people struggle. So they they like the thought of it. They like the, the idea of being inclusive. It's a nice, warm and fuzzy feeling. But when it actually comes down to, to making the changes and taking the actions that are required for diversity and inclusion to be at the core of a brand, that's when you kind of hit that point of resistance and struggle. It's really interesting because I find that often, even in my work as an inclusion and diversity specialist, people assume that the work that I do is separate from, say, a marketing job or, you know, strategic initiatives, that the two are mutually exclusive and that inclusion and diversity sits on the side and it is the kind of warm and fuzzy stuff, the morally high, the moral high ground and the making money side of the business sits somewhere else. What do you say to that kind of attitude? Well, unfortunately, I think it's the same belief system that sees people focusing on quotas in imagery rather than thinking about the the shifts that need to take place at the core of the DNA of a brand. We know that imagery is really powerful. We know that it shapes what is seen as normal in a society and how we construct images is really important. But if we're just looking at imagery and we're not making change internally, then we lose the, the authentic connection. I would say one of the ironies is that, you know, when you deeply connect with a broader audience and you connect deeper and more authentically, you will make more money. And, you know, if if you want to put a commercial argument to the, the warm and fuzzy that you're talking about, the fact is that the Australian population is deeply diverse and and on a, a multitude of, of levels, whether that diversity is religion, whether that diversity is age, whether that diversity is gender, culture, class. We need to talk about class in Australia. It's, it's one of the silent areas we don't talk about. If we start to actually look consciously at who we are as a brand and who the people are that make the decisions for our brand and and see whether or not they truly reflect our audience or they truly reflect the population, that's where the change can happen. Is it manipulation? Are we being manipulated, Kiva? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> this is this is my job. My job is to actually to to utilize your fears, to um, use psychology in a way to manipulate. Look, I, I don't shy away from that. That's exactly what branding is. But I think that if it's done from a place with a well-shaped purpose, then I'm comfortable with that. I think that there's obviously nefarious manipulation and then there's just good old-fashioned brand manipulation (laughs) that I'm quite comfortable to sit within. And I also think that brands that are actively looking to build a better image of the world or or an image of a better world, I'm happy to manipulate in in the positive. For Mm. me, it's a little bit like positive discrimination. I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I think that sometimes we have to be bold and daring and take action in order to bring a new normal about. And that normal will come later on. But sometimes you've actually got to take positive, bold, strong moves that that will lead to change. And I'm okay with that. I, I'm someone who I, I believe everyone is highly fallible. I think that we all come with incredible bias. I think that we all are blind to certain elements of our own privilege and our own position. I don't think there's a way to be omnipresent and see everything about ourselves. We're, we're not capable of that. I think the key is to actually 
accept that and and go through life you know with that belief that you know I'm probably not seeing things from everyone's perspective and I'm probably doing some harm here and probably do have more privilege than I think I do I think if we come to the world with that honesty and likewise the honesty of saying well brands are manipulating <laughs> we are we are trying to get people to believe that that this product is going to make them feel good and and do wonderful things and it might be a great product and that's that's the bonus isn't it Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Lauren Rosali and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. As part of your work, you do a lot of research and you do a lot of research around demographics and trends in the population. And I'm so interested in what some of those insights are that you have found about audiences. The biggest insight I have is just that it's not what you think it is. We all think that we know what Australia looks like. What we know is inside our own little filter bubble of life. We probably know this lockdown time within our five kilometres or LGA is probably a pretty good um, limit. You know, I was, I was reading something today about the idea that cities, the bigger the city, the the smaller the, the kind of world you create because you want to actually reduce it down so that you've got a small community because as human beings, that's what we like. The reality is that just 10 kilometres can make an enormous difference in Australia and that difference can be in terms of an economic difference, in terms of the the financial realities of people. It can be culturally different. We've got incredible um, cultural diversity in Australia and, and how people live within different cultural communities is incredibly different. So from the inner city fringe where where most of us live very small and we're very urbanised and, and we live very individualistic lives, you know, the, the further you go out, you get larger households that might be multi-generational, that, that live larger, that have a completely different experience of community and family. So there is so much to learn about Australia. And I'm so glad that the census has finally taken place, albeit, you know, imperfectly, just so that we can actually mm. have some updated data to show and remind brands that more than 30% of Australians were born overseas. A greater number of those have at least one parent born overseas. There's a, a, a huge number of Australians that, um, you know, have some connection outside of this nation. A lot of us do speak different languages. There's a whole myriad of religions in Australia. It's We are truly diverse, but we, we live in this kind of um, these very small communities and we start to see everyone as being the same as the people that are around us. So what I would say to brands is that if you keep the image of Australia as the 1970s Australia, you're probably going to have ratings like the 1970s going forward. So you need to actually get a little up to date, um, figure out that we are very different. 
Some of the research that we did revealed some really interesting shifts in Australia as we bring in new communities and and we change the face of Australia. We also shift, I suppose, the face of Australian values, which is fascinating. And very much like economists will tell us that there is a, a growing gap between people who are affluent and those that are really struggling. There is a huge wealth gap that's growing in Australia. Likewise, I think that there's a big cultural values gap that is also widening where you have, you know, people who are very, very progressive in their values and people that are probably holding much more towards traditional values. And so it's very hard when you have people that are so separated and divided with values that how do you unite a society? How do you sell policy to a society? How do you bring people together? So these these are the challenges. And um, unfortunately, technology actually makes us more myopic and, and less mm. aware, which I think it's, it's a real challenge going forward. But this is where sport can help. And this is why I think sport is so important, because unlike other areas of society, sport in this country still brings a wide and diverse group of people together which, you know, mm. there's not many things that do anymore. It's, there's something about sport. Look at the Olympics, look at the Paralympics. It's, we can, we can all be so different and have different values and, and beliefs and, and very different experiences of the world. And yet we all find ourselves huddled around our television, cheering on some Queensland swimming sensation for whom, you know, the coach has done Ooh, yeah. the most strange <laughs> celebration. And we're all, we've all got opinions on it the next day. And we're all, you know, it's passion, it's raw. And that's, it's oh, illogical. Really. I suppose what I'm hearing you say is branding and, and inclusive brands, authentic brands are both key to cultural change, but also growth Absolutely. and financial growth. What What is presented as normal in a society is so powerful. And unless you're seeing your reflection in what is presented to you as normal, that's equally powerful. It, it completely isolates you. It, it tells you that you're not welcome. So to me, this is about opening the door and genuinely opening the door to more people to participate in those big cultural unifiers in society, of which sport is one. The thing about sport, and I'd like to believe in Australia, we are maintaining some form of egalitarianism in sport. There is controversy around that, and I don't deny that there is certainly privilege creeping into our sport and there's issues mm. around um, the haves and the have-nots and, and the cost of sport. But I would like to believe that sport isn't just what happens at the MCG on a Saturday. It's what happens at the Little Leagues. It's what happens all across Australia on, on the weekend. And we have this great nation of outdoor venues. And I just think it is something that is so powerful in our culture. And so what I want to see in the same way that we saw, you know, all of those incredible people come around women's cricket just before the pandemic hit. I want to see that with the AFLW. I'm a passionate, passionate AFL fan, but I could never see myself in AFL when I was a child because there was no AFLW. So the fact that now my daughters can see that and have that possibility and my youngest has played junior level AFL that's a wonderful thing. And that's about bringing people together. And if you take my family as an example, my kids, are, are their father's Singaporean. So this is a first generation uh, of Australians from that 
that side of the family, playing AFL as a woman. I mean, how incredible is that, right? You know, working in the AFL industry for a number of years and now sitting outside of it, but going back to being a fan, I'm so desperate for a bit of a shake up. If you, you know, if you could tweak one thing or change one thing or pitch one thing, what would it be? Oh, language and talent. These, these are my two big things with the AFL. I actually turn off the commentary and I think that's really sad because I love, you know, I love the thrill of commentary and I, I love the the hyping up of the moment, especially now without crowds, a lot of the AFL games that commentary brings. But I've got to a point where I can't listen to it anymore because it upsets me because it is from this very pale male style perspective and it, it just, I don't see myself in the people represented back to me in that commentary box and I find that really frustrating. I want to see Indigenous commentators. It, it really frustrates me that we have such incredible Indigenous talent in the AFL and yet where are the Indigenous commentators? Please, Eddie Betts, if you're listening, I want you to commentate. <laughs> yeah, that's mm. to me that's the change I want to see. Um, for, for me personally, the fact that Hawthorne has just got its AFLW licence means I can finally support an AFLW team. I've been, like, supporting AFLW, but I haven't been able to support a team. I felt a little bit, like, oh, yeah. you know, a little bit dirty every time I've clapped at a Crows player or said well done to a <laughs> Carlton player. You know, it's just it's, it's hard. Oh, and it's been torture. <laughs> it's for, been torture. So many. Because yeah. I, I believe in it so much and it's so powerful and it's so important. First AFLW Hawthorne game, I hope COVID for binning, I can get there because, yeah, I want to take my daughters oh. and I want to be there because it would just give me chills, the thought of it. Oh, you're speaking our language, Kiva. One thing I wanted to ask you about was backlash. You know, working in the sporting industry in particular, there's a lot of fear of backlash from members who might not agree with the world that's changing around them. What is the advice for brands or organisations when they do face that kind of backlash? Well, our advice is always if if people are getting upset by you and you're being loyal and true to who you are, you're doing a great job because you're not there to please everyone. They're not your crowd. They're not your target audience. There is always going to be backlash with change. Human beings aren't, aren't fans of change. They like to, to feel comfortable. But I feel like it's the loud minority. If you actually look at sport, for instance, I think there's, there's always going to be those interesting platforms where people um, can now spread their opinions ill-informed. I would just ignore it. I would say, you know what, why, why would you give in to that? It's passionate, it's ill-informed, but I think that there's so many more people who probably aren't going to be keyboard warriors, but they will be sitting there silently going, yes, yes, thank you for, for representing my values, my view, or, hey, I haven't actually been to the AFL in a while, I might revisit that because I can finally see some change. I, I actually always believe it's it's the fringe, the extreme fringe that, that seems to be the most vocal on anything and you just got to ignore that. It's um, People will get used to be the Be brave. Be brave, be bold. You know, I, I want girls in this country to be able to dream of being an AFL commentator, not necessarily an AFL player, but, you know, why shouldn't they be able to have that dream? And I think it's really important as well that we bring in a diversity of, of commentators so that we can actually speak and translate the game to a whole new wide audience. It's amazing how it takes for you to be 
the outsider to understand that feeling and to understand mm. all the different things that that make you different. My Singaporean in-laws would say, I don't know what this means and I don't know what that means, these Australianisms. And I can imagine listening to football commentary, you must be going, are they speaking English? I think that if you bring in a diversity of commentary, if you bring in a diversity of minds around the AFL as well, you're certainly going to get a lot more people who can access it and understand it and go, oh, that's what they're talking about. Who's doing it well, Kiva? Look, I think that brands are making some progress. I think that startups tend to be quite good in this space. I think that they're very good Mm. at understanding their purpose and because they are by nature daring and they are by nature, I suppose, what we'd call a disruptor brand. So they're typically taking on a giant and trying to disrupt that they they are very good at actually putting out their values and their belief systems. I work with a brand at the moment called WeFlex and they're all about making exercise for everybody. So while their focus is on enabling people with disability to access exercise at a local gym or, you know, with just regular personal trainers, they don't want to be seen as a typical disability brand because they mm. actually see that as, as a step backwards. Their philosophy is actually about inclusion and that is everybody. So it doesn't matter what your unique needs are, whether they are neurodiversity or, or whether you're a wheelchair user or, or whether you have have particular needs. The fact is, is that physical exercise and the benefits of should be for everybody and we should all be able to access that locally and personal trainers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I love the way that they are framing their brand and positioning their brand. It's it's not a pity brand. It's not inspiration porn, as as the founder would say, about, you know, using disability. It it really is about saying hey, this is, this is a fundamental human right that mm. everybody should be able to access exercise. And I love that. Before I let you go, Kiva, why do you do this work? What is it for you that brings you to this table every day? <laughs> um, look, I just want to see, I suppose I feel like brands have the biggest power for change. I'm a big believer that we vote every time we go to a checkout. Every time we put our money towards something, we're actually casting a vote. We're saying something about who we are and and what we believe. I accept that's a very privileged position because that assumes, of course, that you've got um, the ability to choose between products based on price. So I absolutely accept that and I apologise for that. But I think that more and more we are going to actually engage with brands that truly align with our values and make the world a better place. We've got a climate crisis that we're all looking at. We've we've got a social crisis that when we talk about the economic divide that's being faced by Australians and all around the world, we've got this pandemic and, and you know, the mental health crisis that's going to come out of that. So for me, the brands that actually seek to improve the world and do their their service, their product for good, yeah, I think they're going to change the world. And it's already happened. You can look back in history and I was recently reminded of the Easter Bilby campaign, which um, went on, I think, around 1991 or 92 when bilbies in Australia were becoming extinct. And so rather than buy a, a Easter rabbit, they, they created this Easter Bilby campaign, which um, was to save the bilbies. And last year, the first ever bilbies were put back in the wild in Australia. So wow. they're alive. They, they're not extinct. Um, and that's a small example, but change can happen through brands and change can happen through those kind of ideas that, yeah, I think it's really powerful. And, and who wouldn't want to buy products that don't hurt the environment? I think it's great. 
made. I think there's huge markets for that. I love talking to you because you connect the dots between a few different worlds for me. And I love culture and media and sport and, and the work that you do kind of connects all of them together. And I've just loved chatting with you today. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Rana. No, this has been an absolute honour. Um, you know, listening to the podcast, it's fantastic. I can't believe I'm on here. <laughs> oh, look, I'm sure we'll get you back or if nothing else, I'll be on the phone to you a few more times. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Rana. It's been awesome. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.